Podcast Studios. This, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now. Hi, friends. Welcome to another After 9. It's another solo Scott happening all this week on the pod. Kat's on vacation. She will be back on Monday, no doubt with lots of great stories to tell. So it's starting to wear on me. It's hard. Shit. Four-hour radio show. And then uh, at least half-hour podcast solo. That's that's not easy to do. Talking to yourself and straining your voice all at once. But I appreciate you listening. I'm going to do my best to struggle through this one. But I am losing my voice a touch again. Uh, I want to read a couple of messages that have come in from the podcast Monday and Tuesday of this week. This one. I'll, I'll keep people anonymous, I think. Hey, Scott, just wanted to shoot you a quick message to let you know. Love the solo pods. Listen to you and Kat on the radio every morning and on the pod every day. I love the radio show and After 9, but I also love hearing your solo pods, especially when you get into the Canadian politics side of things. I know you're a super busy guy with all the radio shows, the pod, lacrosse, and all the things that you do, but I'd love to hear more solo pods, especially about you talking politics. Maybe once a month. Just a thought. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. I, I don't know if there's any possibility of me doing more. I'm I'm basically at capacity at this point for things to do in a day. But if I can find a way to do these a little more regularly, I will. Because I do think that it's important to talk about it. And, and as we've talked about for the last two days, nobody else is talking about what the middle class is going through. Another note, great solo pod today. I actually thought of something this weekend that blends in with all the carbon tax talk. We know the cost of food has been highly affected by the carbon tax. My wife and I happen to be talking about our grocery costs this weekend as we were putting away the groceries. We know that companies have been changing the size of products. They've shrunk them and put the cost up. We were blown away when we actually started comparing some of the purchases. Some of the more outlandish things we found were meat in general. We used to get four packs of fresh, boneless, vein-free chicken breasts for 15 to 18 bucks. Now they're three packs, and it's extremely difficult to find for under 18 bucks. Same goes with beef. A while back, grocers like Zayers and Loblaws started one-pricing those styrofoam platters of ground beef. It was fairly common to get a pound of ground beef for six to eight bucks. Now they're three quarters of a pound. I hadn't noticed that, but if that's the case, that's just another example. It's not just our government that's ripping us off. Corporations are ripping us off. Banks are ripping us off. And because they're all in cahoots together here, nobody is going to stop them. Nobody is standing up to them. This, that song and dance that they did in Ottawa a few weeks ago where they hauled in all the leaders of the grocery companies. We knew prices were going to come down a touch in the fall. And really, that's all they came down was just a, a touch in the fall. I'll read you another message. I appreciate uh, what you share on the podcast. I said to my wife the other week after listening to the lawsuit against the York University episode that I feel embarrassed and ashamed to be Canadian. This version of Canada just isn't a good place. I don't feel proud to be a part of it in its current state. And again, after listening to today's episode, it brings back the same feelings. I wish I knew how to make it change or what personal choices I can make to escape what this place is becoming. Seeing security guards parked in front of churches feels so wrong, to be quite honest. It's scary. There's nothing Canadian about any of this. Anyway, thanks for sharing the truth and keeping people that listen informed. Appreciate that a lot. Hey, Scott, I've been listening since the 90s to you and your various co-hosts. I just want to let you know I really enjoy your solo podcasts when you attack various issues no one else wants to touch, and you approach it with a common-sense approach. 
with you being on the radio and having a pulse on the temperature of social issues, you have a great point of view, and it's good that it comes through on the podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you for that. I'm going to do just one more. Thank you for speaking up and voicing out loud how most Canadians should be feeling. Canada is definitely not the same place as we remember. These days, I'm completely embarrassed to say I'm Canadian. I really hope somehow Trudeau is ousted and they give Pierre a chance to make Canada great again. Uh A little Trump reference. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. There was a long time where they tried to shame anybody who talked positively about Donald Trump. They still do it in America. I don't know. I think if we hauled 100 Canadians into this podcast studio, it would be quite busy if we did. But if we did and hauled 100 of them in here and asked them how they really feel and what the better way is to get out of the mess we're in now, they might not hate the idea of Trump. They definitely, based on the polls, don't hate the idea of Pierre Polyev. It's just a different political leaning. And and I hear, you know what? I'm going to change the topic. <laughs> I'm going to do it because I don't want to go off on a, a tangent like I did yesterday. That might have been a little long-winded, but I, I just felt like it had to be said. We're going to bring in a guest on this episode of After 9, and I'm intentionally bringing in this guest because I think it serves a need in the community. Not just for them, but maybe also for you. Our guest on After 9 today, her name is Kim Willem. Did I say that right, Kim? No. Wilhelm. 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 Kim Wilhelm is the interim CEO of the Region of Waterloo Food Bank. And you've been there for a year and a half in this role. (laughs) In this role, yes. But I joined the food bank actually in 2016. Did you join as a volunteer? No, I didn't. Um, I've always been on staff. Okay, great. Working at a food bank must be a surreal experience right now. And when you think back to from when you were 16 to the, the point you're at now, it's probably amazing how much things have changed. It's a different organization. It really is. I mean, I was thrilled to join the food bank in 2016 and lead the fundraising and marketing team. And knowing that every day when I was coming to work, I was able to make an impact in somebody's life. And we have an incredible team of volunteers that come and help us each and every day do our work in our warehouse and out at events. And working alongside them, seeing how passionate they are and knowing that We're bringing food in, we're shipping food out that's ultimately going to get out to somebody who really needs it, just feels good. I imagine it does. I've got a whole bunch of questions about the food bank, and part of the reason it's on my radar is because I hear stories all the time Mm -hmm. about the increasing and insane demand for food from the community. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I don't know how you guys keep up. I really don't, because not only is there an increasing demand from people who need food support, There's also people who used to or traditionally would make donations that are also in a bit of a tough spot financially. And and so I think we're probably, tell me if I'm wrong, are we at a point now where donations are down but demand is up? 100%. And how do you make that work? Like how do you square the circle there? So I would say that we've worked really hard as an organization to ensure that we have sustainability. And so what does that mean? It means that every year the board is sitting down to say, okay, Um, where do we need to increase our revenue? Where can we cut some expenses? And if there is a surplus at the end of the year, we're really looking carefully on how we can put that aside for future needs. So for example, right now, we have a food purchase reserve that's set aside for emergency purchases, such as right now, when the increase of demand is so large. 
So you guys have actually got a, a bit of a cash reserve from previous donations that when you get to peak demand season, mm-hmm. like we're in right now, you can actually use some of that money to go out and buy food to distribute in the community. Exactly. And let me give you a little example of what that looks like. Pre-COVID, we were spending about $200,000 a year on food. We would get community food donations, but we would supplement it with food purchases. Now, at the end of this current fiscal, we're probably looking at about $2 million. That's a 10, no, 10 times more than you were spending. Massive. Because what's happening is the price of food is getting huge. We know that. It's rising every day. And people aren't able to afford the extras in their budget to make a donation to the food bank. And so we refer to that as a little bit of community food donations. Community food donations are going down drastically. And so what happens? We have to supplement that because people still need to eat. And so through our food purchase, we're able to do that. There's a couple of good initiatives coming up. And we're going to talk about the new Tim Hortons Smile Cookie campaign. So cool that they're doing smile cookies in November. As a cookie fan myself, I am all in favor of this. And you guys are going to get some benefit from that. So we're going to talk about that and how people can donate or even volunteer if they want to do that over the holidays. But I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around this. The amount of families that had never even, it had never even crossed their mind Mm -hmm. that they might need a food bank. Many of them now are in a position where they're thinking, we might need a little bit of help. And you are probably one of the first points of contact at the food bank when these people come in or when they go to wherever it is they go to get the food. People don't actually go to the food bank, right? Correct. We work with over 120 community programs to ensure that they're there for the, to be the front line to individuals. We provide food to the agency partners, these community organizations, and they are directly serving p- members of our community. It's got to be a massive logistical challenge mm-hmm. to not only coordinate the food donations that do come mm-hmm. in and get them to the warehouse and get them sorted, but then to get them out to those community organizations who then have to get it out to the community. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a, a massive huge, machine. It is. And our network is incredible. Um, I like to say it's a well-oiled machine, but the reality is things are coming up every day. We're pivoting, we're changing, um, and we are our staff team, our agency partners are working hard each and every day to ensure no one is hungry. So if someone's in that situation, they're they're just scraping by, maybe they've got enough to pay their bills, maybe they don't, maybe their, their mortgage is getting mm-hmm. paid, but nothing else is getting paid, or maybe they can only afford the basics. It's a tough decision, I think, for mm-hmm. a lot of people to say, you know what, I need help. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't want to admit when they need help, but I think it's important that we point out help is there if you're ready to do it. How do or how does someone access food bank services? Do you Google it? Do you go? Is there a special place you go? Or? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. So right here in Waterloo Region, the first thing I would say is go to the food bank website, thefoodbank.ca. There's a button on that page that says need food. And that will bring you to a map that you can navigate to find a neighborhood food program. So what do I mean by a neighborhood food program? That means we try to offer food assistance programs in a neighborhood close to you. We don't want individuals having to travel miles, kilometers um, to pick up their food. We try and offer it in a location fairly close to them. The reality is, though, some of those food programs, they don't run every day. They're running once a week. And if you can't make it until the following week, we do have a central location um, working with the House of Friendship, and they are able to ensure that if you need food today, you will get it. Um, If you're not quite sure how to navigate that website, we have a food assistance outreach coordinator 
who's going to help navigate that for you. And so you can reach out by phone um, by calling the food bank and our food assistance outreach coordinator will help navigate that for you. Is it fairly discreet? I mean, is it like we're walking down Main Street and everybody's watching you walk into the food bank or or something like that? Because I think that there is a deep level of embarrassment for a lot of people. Well, I mean, think about it yourself. Can you imagine how hard it would be to have to say, I need help, I need food, I don't have enough this month. And so do we advertise in a big sign that says, come here, anyone who can't afford food, come get, absolutely not. We want to do it in a dignified way. Right. Um, And so if you are coming to a food program, um, obviously there's a number of volunteers and staff that are there to help you, but they want to make sure that it's respectful and dignified. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. And and I didn't have a doubt at all. I just wanted to reassure people that are Mm -hmm. listening and asking themselves, am I at a point where I need help? Mm -hmm. And and that's a great answer. So thank you. One of the things that actually keeps me up at night is we're coming into the holidays here and it's not just Christmas and yada, 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 all that stuff. It's also a break from school. Mm -hmm. And I also know that there's a lot of kids who don't eat unless they're at school. Mm -hmm. How do we help out those kids that aren't going to a school building every day. They're going to be off for two or three weeks and there's not food at home. Like where do they get support? That's a great question. So right now, one of the things that we are working on with our partners at the House of Friendship is our Christmas hamper program. And that's an opportunity for individuals to sign up for a Christmas hamper to help get them through the holidays. But also because we have those neighborhood food programs, individuals who are home from school and they need a little bit of extra support over the holidays can access one of those neighborhood food programs and bring food home to their families. How over the, the holidays, if if someone has decided, you know what, I need a little bit of help, I've got to go and, and maybe go to the food bank or something like that, they're going to go, they're going to go in, do they go in and you just hand them a box or do people like shop around? Like I'm really fascinated about how this works when somebody visits a food bank. Because we work with so many community partners, the experience may be slightly different in each neighborhood. Um, but one of the things that we try really hard to do is choice. Um, now, respectfully, we are not a grocery store. Right. We don't have every food option. But what we do try to say is, here's some options for grains that you can have this week. And there's a selection that individuals can choose from. Um, usually our perishables are a little um, more tight because there's um, they're pre-packed at many of our programs. But obviously, if there's something that you're not too fussy on, pick it out. We'll save it for the next person. So we really do try and look at choice as much as possible um, with a few constraints. You were saying that you go out and buy food. And I mean, if you're typically spending 200000 and now that's up to $2 million on food, where do you buy it from? Is it like a distribution center or do you guys just go to different grocery stores in town and clean out all the apples and bananas? All of the above. Really? Um, so it really depends on what we need. We have an inventory system in our warehouse. Um, and so for those of listeners who haven't been at our warehouse, think Costco, no samples. That's the best <laughs> visualization I can give you. I- I've um, toured it. And you're, very, you're right. It's very much <laughs> like that. Um, and so we have an inventory system. So we can talk, look at when we're getting low on a certain product category and know what some of the more common products are that our agencies are offering. So what we will do is we will um, say, okay, we need chicken right now. Where do we know that we can get 
volume of chicken. And really, sometimes it depends on how much we need. Like if we just need to supplement a little bit, we might go to the grocery store and get it. If we need a bulk order, we're working with food manufacturers. So it really depends what the product is, the volume that we're looking for, um, and so on and so forth. What kind of support do you get and what kind of support do you need from government? Do they give you any money to continue operating? Do they help you in any way? So we do not get any funding from the provincial or federal government. We do get um, right now $744,000 from our regional government. And that those funds are shared with um, some of our agency partners who are operating within the region five to seven days a week. Um, beyond that, we are fully community funded. That's unbelievable to me. You know, when you think about all the 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 things that we spend money on, you know, I mean, there was just a several hundred thousand dollar purchase to to replace decorative light poles in downtown Galt. Yeah. And and was that really a priority or is it people in our community that are starving? I I won't get political on this, but I could talk all day <laughs> yeah, about it. So you, you need funding on this. And I totally hear that. There's a lot of different ways that people can help mm-hmm. if they're able to help, though. Is cash still king or do you still want food donations? So both. Some people find it easier to give food donations. If you are going to make a food donation, um, please consider some of our most needed items. So right now our most needed items are rice, canned fruit and vegetables, and canned meat and fish. Those are really our three top priorities right now. The reality is, though, food does take a lot of labor to sort in our warehouse. Um, And so funds gives us flexibility. It gives us the flexibility to fill in specific gaps in our inventory. um, And we're able to buy it in bulk purchases. So there's less manual work once we receive the food in. Um, And so cash is definitely um, easier that way. And individuals get a tax receipt. Yeah. It's great. So it's easy. So what, do they go on the website and make a donation or do they have to go somewhere and like tap a card or something? It's easy for people. You can go directly to our website at thefoodbank.ca, click on the donate button, and it'll walk you through the process. And for anybody who's a fan of cookies, next week, Tim Hortons is stepping up. I've never seen them do a fall smile cookie campaign, and I've never seen smile cookies that look quite like this. I don't know who designed them, but full credit to it. It's very festive looking. It's the same smile you're used to seeing, but this time around, it's supporting you guys. Absolutely. We are thrilled. And this is a new initiative for Tim Hortons to do a fall smile cookie campaign. We are so excited to partner with Tim Hortons in Kitchener, Waterloo, and the, the proceeds from smile cookie will support the food bank and those who are hungry. Um, so please go get yourself a smile cookie. I mean, really, who doesn't love a good smile? I will buy a box for the office probably every day next week. They're going to hate me walking through the door because I'm always going to have cookies. But I feel like it's such an easy thing to do, and it's such a great cause, and there's such a need right now. There is. I mean, we talk at a food bank level that we are in a crisis right now. We have never seen the increase like we are experiencing right now, and we need to do something because food banks cannot continue to operate at this level. What needs to change? I mean, obviously, you guys need a little more funding. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we need in, uh, the situation to improve, whether it be interest rates or or the cost of living, inflation, yada, yada, yada. It, it, I mean, if you guys get some big, massive influx of donations for some reason in the next six weeks, does that solve the problem? It helps this problem, but it doesn't solve the problem. And I want to make sure that we separate those two things. There's a few things that we can do. So one, you've named a few. Um, we need to get grocery prices under control. We need to get interest rates under control, 
gas prices, those are all contributing factors to individuals right now. But it doesn't stop there. We need to really work with our provincial and federal government on a few things. We need to get serious about affordable housing. We need to support workers with low incomes. We have heard more stories over the last number of months and years about individuals who are having to work two, three, sometimes four part-time jobs in order to make ends meet. Um, And we need to look at our safety net and make sure that we have a minimum income floor for all individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that they're definitely talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, buy a smile cookie next week. Go to thefoodbank.ca if you're able to make a cash donation. Mm-hmm. And by the sounds of it, every little bit helps. Absolutely. We've talked about how people can donate food. Oh, where do they donate food if they want to do that? Is it still that's at like a, fire halls yeah, and stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. So fire halls, police stations, but your grocery store, your local grocery store. So you don't have to worry about transporting it. You can purchase it at your grocery store. And there's bins locally at all grocery stores that you can just drop it in on your way out. I love it. Kim, thank you for doing what you do, because I feel like if you guys weren't doing it, I don't know who would. And the demand is so high, and you guys are staring at a mountain here, and you're conquering it. So thank you very much for doing what you do at the Food Bank. Kim Wilhelm is the it, Wilhelm is the interim CEO, and, and just a big thank you. I mean, I, I don't know that I'll ever be in there. Uh, I hope I'm not, but I know that there's a lot of people who are seriously considering whether or not they need help. And I really wanted to put it out there so people understand how it works mm-hmm. and and that you guys don't get nearly mm-hmm. adequate government funding, which is really tragic to me. But we're going to stay on this. We will promote it all through the Christmas season. And I hope you guys have a great holiday yourselves. Thank you so much. And I just want to end with saying that if anyone needs the support. We are here to support you. We want to make sure that you don't go hungry. So I know it's tough and it's not easy, but please reach out if you need help. Wasn't that interview great? Hard to listen to at times. I mean, I I was looking at Kim as she was talking and and you can tell how passionate she is about helping people that need help and and trying to convince people that it's okay to ask for help. And it's just crazy to me that this is going on in Canada in 2023. Two million people access to food bank in October in Canada. Two million Canadians. They went from spending $200,000 on food to $2 million on food, and they get zero funding from the, the provincial government or from the federal government. When you look at all the dumb shit that our government spends money on, all the insanity that they waste our money on, and then you hear they're not funding food banks, doesn't that just make you furious? Next time you get your paycheck, go online and look at your pay stub. Look at the amount of tax they took off. Imagine the tax you don't even know they took off, but they still took it. All those deductions, and we aren't funding our food banks during a crisis like we're in right now? That's completely disgraceful. Uh, Do you need an example? Anybody want one on what we waste our money on? Here's one on the uh, president of the Treasury Board, MP Anita Anand. Promises very soon, in the coming days, details on cuts to spending for consultants. Do you know what this government in Ottawa did? They spent $669,500. $669,500 paid to KPMG consultants to find out how we can use less consultants. The civil service is the biggest it's 
ever been. It ballooned over the last eight years. We've got the biggest amount of employees working for the government than ever before. And we're also using more consultants and more outside farmed out work than ever before. This is not, these people are not serious people. These people that are running the show are not smart people. They don't think like a business would think where you've got to have money coming in to put money out. Imagine spending almost $700,000 on a consultant to figure out how we can have less consultants when we've already got the biggest federal civil service in history. It's absolutely insane. They have no respect for money. No wonder all these levels of government, municipal included, just keep raising our taxes. Actually, I'll, I'll let the province off. The province has done fine. Taxes haven't gone up there. In fact, they've cut the gas tax a little bit, and I'm pretty happy about that. But everybody's property taxes went up. We know our federal taxes are going through the roof, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. And they're wasting it. And then we've got food banks that need money. Actual people that are working their butts off to feed the community. And they don't have any government funding? What the hell is going on here? Actually, I find myself saying, what the hell is going on a lot this week and after nine? And I say it a lot more, too, even when I'm not recording. It's... uh. It's frustrating. I'm, I'm really, really frustrated. But anyway, I hope you get a chance to go out and get a smile cookie next week. And proceeds from that are directly going to benefit people in our community who are hungry. Let's get to a couple other things. And ironically, Tim Hortons is in the news. Uh, they're being sued by a woman in Winnipeg who alleges a staff mistake that added cream instead of almond milk to her tea led to a severe allergic reaction. The woman has filed a lawsuit against Tim Hortons along with their parent company and the individual operator of that location in Winnipeg where the incident happened. The lawsuit says the woman used the Tim Hortons mobile app back in June to order a tea with almond milk. They put cream in it instead. The woman immediately went into an allergic reaction. She had to be transported by ambulance to hospital where staff at the hospital did CPR for eight minutes to get her heart restarted. That's horrible. Mistakes happen. I don't know how this particular mistake happened. I I don't assume it's a problem with the technology. I don't assume the woman ordered wrong. I assume somebody just got busy and wasn't paying attention and put the wrong thing in there. Well, here's a great reminder that you got to pay attention because there's some very serious allergies out there. But this is also a good opportunity for me to point out and remind everybody again We are spending a shit ton of money in this country on naloxone. That is the drug that reverses an opioid overdose. We got the entire country hooked on opioids, so now we had to come out with another drug to stop them from tweaking out if they happen to take too much. Okay, naloxone's everywhere, and I still like that. I like that there's an option there. I think that everybody should have a naloxone kit just in case you happen to encounter someone who is going through a, 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 what do we call that? Somebody who is, uh, you know what I mean, somebody who is obviously ODing, the naloxone can reverse that. Sometimes it takes more than one shot of it, but it can reverse it. It can save a life. So do EpiPens. EpiPens save lives for people who have got serious allergies, and, and nobody's given those away for free. In fact, when you go to get an EpiPen, your benefits don't cover all of it, so it's a decent amount of money out of pocket, and that's if you even have benefits, and they're not available everywhere like naloxone is or even like those heart machines are, that if somebody's having a heart attack, you put the paddles on them and you can bring them back to life without being a doctor. I think EpiPens should be free for anybody who needs one or anybody who wants one. 
You should be able to go in and have an EpiPen just in case your, your niece or nephew or aunt or uncle, brother, sister, whomever that's allergic to something comes over and happens to come in contact with something that triggers their allergies. That would save lives. It makes no sense to me that we provide naloxone free at every pharmacy, no questions asked, but we charge somebody $114 for a goddamn EpiPen. They both do the same thing. They save lives. They buy time for first responders to get there. I really think EpiPen should be free. Let's go on to a couple other things here. People Magazine has named McDreamy their new sexiest man alive for 2023. 57 years old, hasn't done a lot in the last few years. Did everybody else that they asked say no? Not that Patrick Dempsey is not a a fine-looking gentleman. He's great. He's McDreamy. He's just been off our radar for a long time. I'm wondering how the hell they settled on him. Uh, It was announced last night on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I'll play just a little bit. Are you George Clooney? No. No, but he was people's sexiest man two times previously. Hi, I'm Keith. Are you Dr. McDreamy? Yes. I don't know what you do with that. I mean, yeah, you can tell everybody, oh, I'm the sexiest man alive for one year. And then next year, it'll be some other dude. Okay, all right. Uh, Dempsey says he's glad it happened at this point in his life rather than younger. I'm, I'm not sure why. But he says he intends to use this title to do good. What good can be done? How are you going to parlay that into good? I'm really not sure, but I'm curious to see. Uh, If you're in Hamilton, we're on the verge of a transit strike. The city and the union sat down at the negotiation table again yesterday. Talks broke off after like an hour. The city's latest offer would have some transit workers making almost $80,000 a year before their overtime and shift premiums kick in. Union members voted 94% in favor of a strike. It's set to begin at midnight tonight. Hamilton has not had a transit strike since 1998, but that one lasted 12 weeks. Okay, I I guess. I don't know if anybody at Hamilton City Hall is listening right now, but I'll remind you again, every time you guys let shit like this go on, you're just making less people care about transit. You're making it less relevant. People need consistency. And I don't know why no one has had the balls to declare transit an essential service. Don't they keep telling us we're in a climate emergency? Isn't it a, what did the UN call it? They're a joke, by the way. I think they called it global boiling now. Well, continue to make themselves irrelevant. Maybe we'll take the UN out of the equation. We've been told for years now it's a climate emergency. If it's a climate emergency, then how come transit can just up and stop working? Don't we want people taking transit? They will if you make it consistent and you make it convenient and you make it affordable. When you take every bus and subway and LRT off the road because of a strike, well, that makes people far less likely to believe in transit. Dozens of companies nationwide have been testing the four-day work week, including many in Ontario. Now that the test runs are done, York University has released the results of the study. York surveyed a total of 30 businesses on either doing the same amount of work in 32 hours instead of 40, 
or compressing those 40 hours of work per week into four days instead of five. What they found, pretty damn promising. 90% of respondents said productivity at their firm stayed the same or increased as a result of the new schedule. 86% noted they found it much easier to attract and keep talent with this more progressive timetable. 96% said their workplaces were happier and healthier because of the switch, and as a result, 93% are going to keep doing it. We've talked about the the four-day work week many, many times here on After 9. I'm a big fan of it. I think that there's so many positives to this. One of the things I did on the radio show today was I asked business owners, managers, what's the obstacle? What's holding you back from doing the four-day work week? And, and I heard a whole wide variety of things. I really think that when we hear new ideas, because we are so opposed to change for some reason in this very progressive province, allegedly, people like to look for the downside, why it won't work, before they consider how could it work. So let's walk through some of these. One of the comments I heard was, well, we have customers coming in seven days a week. We can't just be open four days a week. That would not work. Well, I don't think you have staff working seven days a week, so you clearly have some weekend staff. So your main staff can work Monday to Thursday, for example, and then your weekend staff works Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Or mix it up. If you've got 10 employees, could you do with eight? Could you have eight working at any given time? And on every day of the week, two more people take a day off. You know, on Thursdays, employee one and two are off. The rest do the work. On Fridays, employees three and four are off. Saturday, employees five and six are off. That's their extra day for the four-day work week. There's a lot of ways that you can get creative with it and make it work. I I think that you just got to stop looking for problems for this and start looking for solutions. Uh, Somebody suggested it would cost more. Yeah, maybe. It depends how you do it. It really does. There's so many different models for how the four-day work week could work. If you, uh, uh, some people will say, okay, you're only going to work four days, but you're still going to work the same amount of hours in a week, so each day will be longer. Well, that's not necessarily ideal. It creates a lot of daycare issues and things like that. So maybe that is going to work for you. Maybe that wouldn't work for you. Or maybe you just work four full days very productively, no screwing around, stop taking all these long, excessive breaks and all that sort of shit that you do, and you probably could compress compress the amount of work that you do in five days into four. That's another way to do it. It's hard to explain on the radio. Ah, We're on the podcast. Okay, it's hard to explain on the podcast because there are so many different variations of how it can be done, but I would encourage everybody, look into it. We would be so much happier, so much healthier. The air we breathe would be so much better with people commuting four days instead of five days a week. There's a lot of reasons that we really should make the switch, and I hope we do. I was hoping government would lead on this one, but it doesn't look like any of them's going to have the guts to do it. So it's something that business has got to initiate. Stop waiting for Justin Trudeau or Doug Ford or somebody else to say, we're moving to the four-day work week. Find a way to do it. When you look at the amount of businesses that have a 93% satisfaction rate amongst their employees... 93% is pretty compelling. Sorry, it was 96% say their workplaces are happier and healthier. 93% are going to keep doing this. All they had to do was actually do it, and then they realized it. Maybe even do a trial at your business. I'm here to advocate for the four-day work week because I see a lot of advantages to it.
Let's talk about housing for a second. I read this great article on BuzzFeed today, and, and housing is, is one that, if you want, you can go back and listen to last week's episode of After 9. I believe it was on Wednesday. Tony Johal, the realtor, was on the pod, and he was talking about the realities of the housing market. And the reality is, it's impossible to get in if you're not already in and you're not wealthy. It'll take you 25 years to save up enough money for a down payment. It used to be 25 years paid off your mortgage. Now it's 25 years of saving just to come up with the down payment so that you can get into that mortgage, which will take you another 25 years to pay off. So how are young people in particular, not in the housing market, graduating probably with at least a little bit of student debt, maybe some credit card debt and things like that. Hopefully they've paid their minimum payments and kept their credit up. How are they supposed to get into the housing market when it's just that unattainable and expensive? I really like what this couple did. I'm going to introduce you to Anna and what's her partner's name here? Anna and her boyfriend. She is at Camper Park Princess on social. Anna says she thought about buying a home and realized it was just completely unaffordable. She was paying rent that was over $2,000 a month. Over $2,000 a month in rent. Probably up from about 1200 just a few years ago. The rent has gone crazy and nobody's doing anything about it. Well, she decided, I'm not even going to pay the two grand a month. I'm not buying. I'm not renting. I'm going to do something else. She has now managed to get her housing costs down to $373 a month. How did she do it? She bought a camper. Her and her boyfriend bought a camper. They went to like RV Mart or... Big Bear, there's any number of places that you can go and buy yourself an RV. And some of them are quite expensive. You can spend 60, 70, 80,000, 100, 120,000, whatever you want, and go as luxurious as you want with these campers. But for $373 a month, she's got everything that she would have been paying over $2,000 a month for. She's got a fridge, she's got a stove, she's got closets, she's got two bedrooms, she's got a dining room table, she's got a couch, she's got a TV. Now, the fact that you can drive it just about anywhere, well, that's beside the point. The fact that she's got the shelter for a fraction of what she would have been paying in rent to somebody else, this is amazing. She's essentially just got a car payment and living out of her mobile vehicle. Now, I don't know where she parks it. I don't even know what the rules are on that. If I buy a camper and move into that, can I just go and like park it at an en route or something like that and say I live here now? Can I just go and park it in a park and say I live here now? Chances are no. You probably can't. However, that's the kind of creativity that I think is probably going to get some people through. Can't afford a house? No problem. Don't want to move to the States? No problem. But that's probably your next best option if you can find a good place to park it. I applaud the creativity and ingenuity. I think that's great outside-the-box thinking. Man, my voice is really going now. All right, everybody. I'm going to wrap up this episode. I'm going to go home and drink some honey and lemon and tea and a lot of scotch. That that really does help, by the way. Thank you for listening to this episode of After 9. Thank you very much again to Kim from the Food Bank for being on this episode of After 9 and defining pretty plainly and simply what they need and how you can access their services if you happen to need them. Thank you to you for all the DMs that you've sent in. I appreciate it. I will catch you right back here tomorrow. Knock on wood, God willing, if my voice holds up, we should be good. Have a great day, everybody.